With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, and I'm excited because, you know, as much as I've enjoyed over the last few weeks talking with people inside the NFL, outside the NFL, about their evaluation process, now's the time where we can really start talking some football with prospects for this upcoming college football season, next year's NFL draft, and we're going to start this this week with players outside of the Power Five conferences. So over the next five episodes, we're going to go through the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12, but Today, we are going to go through the independents, so schools like Notre Dame, the schools outside the Power Five, so from the MAC, the Sun Belt, and then also from lower levels of college football. Who are the top players that you need to know from all those schools? Well, Tony Pauline and I are going to talk about that. Tony returns to the show this week. We're going to discuss the top names outside the Power Five. But it's not just that in this week's show, because we're also going to talk with Tony Rassiopi, who was down at the Manning Passing Academy just a couple of weeks ago. He's going to report back to us who were some of the top college guys that were down there in attendance in New Orleans, because a really, really interesting group of quarterbacks for this year. Obviously, it's going to be a big topic of discussion all fall long. Eagles fans may not be too focused in on because they've got a really good quarterback room here in Philadelphia, but still big, big topic of discussion in college football with the NFL draft. So we'll hear from Tony about all the top passers down at that event. So the first of our two Tonys, Draft Buzz, Tony Pauline, top prospects outside the Power Five. Let's get to Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, back once again to join us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're back for Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline. And, Tony, uh, we're going to be going conference by conference. This one isn't necessarily a full conference preview. It's really everybody outside the Power Five. But I'm going to ask you the same slew of questions each week over the next five weeks. And we're going to talk about the top players that you need to know, whether it's the top players overall, guys that really can improve from last year, sleepers, newcomers, the whole bit. So we're going to go one by one. And really, this week it'll be me and you, but – Next week, Ben Fennell will be joining us, uh, and the three of us will just kind of bounce around and really talk about the players that have piqued our interest during our film study and during our research this summer as we head and prepare for the 2019 college football season. So, number one, welcome back to the show. Number two, who is your top prospect from outside the Power Five? We're going to start at the very top here. Number one prospect outside the Power Five for you entering the 2019 year. Now, Notre Dame has got a ton of NFL prospects here this year, a ton of top-rated NFL prospects. And I know a lot of people like Julian Aquara, who we'll talk about, but I like Tony Pride, the cornerback. He's got excellent size, just about six foot tall, maybe a little bit under six foot tall, 195 pounds. He runs and plays in the four fours. I know that some scouts have him graded higher than Julian Julian Aquara. I love his ball skills. I love his uh, his instincts. I love the physicality to his game. I think he's a big physical corner that can shut down opponents in one-on-one coverage. I think he's a first-round prospect. So I'm going to go against the grain and mention Tony Pride over Aquara, whose instincts kind of concern me at times. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Aquara because you know I think he. 
I think some people are really, really high on him. I'm not quite where other people are, but I can definitely see the potential. I think when you look at Julian Aquara, you see a really athletic kid. I think he's got a solid toolbox in terms of his pass rush moves, his his ways to attack offensive linemen. He still needs to get a little bit better in some areas. I'd like to see him get a little bit more consistent against the run. But when you look at him and Khalid Kareem on the other side, very, very strong pair of defensive ends for Notre Dame in that 4-3 front. Uh, they can attack defense or attack offenses in a number of different ways. And, you know, really Kareem is a guy that we've talked about in the show going back to last year. We'll talk about him a little bit coming up. But Aquara is a guy, to me, that really jumped on the scene last year, was really productive. I want to say he, I, he may have gotten close to double-digit sacks. I know he was more productive than Kareem, but uh, the traits are there. Really, really intriguing player as we go into the season. All right, let's go into the next category here. Top offensive senior. Who is the top offensive senior for you outside the Power Five? I like Matt Pert, the offensive tackle from UConn. Now, I've got him graded as an early fifth-round pick right now. Okay. Some scouts have him graded as a fourth-rounder. I think he's one of those guys now that you give people who give, like myself, and even scouts are giving him a conservative grade. But if he plays up to his ability, he's going to jump into the second day of the draft. He's a right tackle. He's an athletic right tackle who goes about six foot seven, 302 pounds. He's estimated to run in the 5.05 uh, in the 40, which tells you something about his athleticism. He's a guy who's got great fundamentals for a taller uh, offensive tackle, shows great knee bend, great flexibility, great agility. He's outstanding in pass protection. He's fluid out to the second level, can block on, uh, on the second level, can take linebackers out. He's a decent run blocker. I think I'd like to see him develop more of a nasty streak. I don't see a guy who really works to bury opponents, but he's got the size, he's got the growth potential, and he's got the upside. If he pulls it all together, which can be kind of tough at, uh, you know, at UConn because UConn really for the past couple of years have been unwatchable except for Matt Pert. But if he pulls it all together, I think we're going to see a guy who's going to be at the Senior Bowl fighting for a top 100, top 90 selection in the 2020 NFL Draft. Interesting. I actually haven't gotten him yet. I know he's on my list, but I haven't gotten to him yet. But the one guy I have gotten to uh, is Chase Claypool, the the senior wide receiver from Notre Dame. Didn't really know too much about him. I know Jim Nagy, uh, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, had, had kind of listed him as a receiver that would be on their watch list. Six four two thirty. Went and studied him, and, he, and he's a dirty work player. You know, he can go in. He does a really nice job as a blocker in the run game. Uh, can make some catches outside the numbers as well. I do think there are some athletic limitations, and we'll see. Uh, if he's able to kind of answer those questions this year, if he can get a little bit quicker, a little bit better as a route runner uh, with the ability to create his own separation. But uh, a kid with his size and with his uh, his competitiveness on the perimeter, I think he can find a home uh, in an NFL offense. Uh, what, what were your thoughts uh, in terms of your study on Chase Claypool? Is there any, any kind of follow-up to that? Yeah, I mean, a solid, good athlete, but... Uh... You know, I, I want to see him step up his game. I want to see him step up, uh, step up his productivity. It was kind of a little bit too streaky for me, which is why I have him graded as a late uh, as a uh, late round pick. But he does have the tools to move up. If, if, if now that he's going to be the man, uh, he's going to be the focus of that uh, that Notre Dame receiving core. Yeah, obviously Miles Boykin uh, leaving was has some production there. Uh, Ian Book, the starting quarterback, uh, hopefully can give them uh, a little bit more consistent quarterback play throughout the course of the year. Uh, he didn't wasn't instituted as the starter until halfway through the 2018 year. All right, next question: 
Who is the most intriguing underclassman on offense outside the Power Five? Now, I'm going to couch this. Obviously, these players are not necessarily going to be in the 2020 draft. We're not saying this guy should definitely declare, but he he's definitely going to be in store for 2021 and could be in play depending on if he has a strong senior season. Who is that guy for you? Who's the most intriguing underclassman on offense? Well, it's a guy who I hear is very likely to enter the NFL draft, and he is my top-rated prospect from the American Athletic Conference. That is Gabe or Gabriel, whichever he goes by, Davis, the wide receiver from Central Florida. Wow. I have him right now graded as a second-round pick. He goes about six foot two, two 215 pounds. He's probably going to time the 40 in the low four fives, but he plays much faster, shows himself as a big play receiver, the ability to get down the field and make the deep reception, shows himself to really win out for the contested throws and underneath coverage, really a consistent uh, pass catcher for both of the quarterbacks who lined up on the center at Central Florida. I loved his game last year. I think his size lends to incredible upside. I think he has all the hallmarks of, you know, he could be a number one receiver in a timing type of possession offense. If you're looking at a vertical offense, he's more of a number two guy. I just think what he showed last year bursting on the scene and what he has to offer the next year, maybe two years, although it's probably going to be one year, I just think this guy is a tremendous NFL receiver prospect. I'm excited to watch him. Well, he'll, uh, he'll be getting things started without Mackenzie Milton, it seems like. No word on, on what his status is. He had that injury at the end of last season in the bowl game. But uh, a guy that's getting now into his second year in a new offense. Now we're going to talk about a guy who's going into his first year in a new offense, and that's Utah State quarterback Jordan Love. And, Tony, uh, he's got a lot of buzz you know, in the media circles. A lot of people talk about Jordan Love, and you know, I, I hadn't seen much of him. We watched uh, Ron Quavian Tarver and some of the guys that they had uh, on that offense last year, and you see some of the throws, but this was the first time a couple weeks ago where I got to really sit down and watch him. Jordan Love is really, really intriguing. I mean, you talk about a combination of size and movement, arm strength, but not just, oh, he's a big kid who can throw and he can run around a little bit. He's also really accurate. I was really impressed with his touch. Uh, his ball placement, whether it was in the, from the pocket or on the move, was really impressive. The thing that you're going to see is you know, the, that whole offensive staff, for the most part, left. They went over to Texas Tech. Matt Wells, is, you know, he left Utah State, goes over uh, to the Red Raiders. So now, how is Jordan Love going to do in a new system? So X and O wise, yeah. But then also a lot of turnover. They lost a ton of personnel, a lot of seniors on that Utah State team a year ago. So how is he going to look, A, in a new offense? And whether they're trying to keep the system the same or not, it's a new play caller. It's going to be very, very new to him. And then number two, with new targets on the outside, with a new running back, with new offensive linemen. It's going to be a little bit of an adjustment here for him. They go on the road. They play LSU. That's going to be a game that's circled on the calendar for NFL scouts this fall. I think when you look at Jordan Love, the question I have going into this year is, yeah, how is he going to recover after the turnover? But then also... Can he get to plays late in the progression? Is he able to process things quickly and get there? Because they really did a nice job of keeping things very simple, and he trusted it. He, he made some really good tight window throws where you could tell he trusted the, the play, trusted the guy on the other side of the, of the pass. But ultimately, when you look at him, he's a very, very intriguing player. I just want to see how he can make, take that next step from a mental standpoint this fall. What have you heard about Jordan Love? Well, a couple things. Uh, you know, I threw out a, a, a mock uh, uh, 2020 NFL draft a week after this, this past 2019 uh, draft uh, finished, and I actually had Jordan Love as a mid-first-round pick, which sent a lot of waves out on social media. A lot of people didn't know who Jordan Love was. 
the Utah State people were, were were kind of in love with me. They 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 loved the fact that I was giving Jordan Love all this notoriety, although they realized this is probably his last year uh, at Utah State. Uh, and I had spoken about him as a first round pick once the 2019 draft ended. He just wasn't draft eligible for 2019. What I had heard really back in going back to November was the Miami Dolphins. They went out west to scout Justin Herbert uh, at Oregon to watch him. And along the way, they made a stop to watch, uh, to watch Jordan Love of Utah State. They liked him that much moving forward. So, yeah, he's got to improve some of the details of his position. I've had him graded as a first-round pick. Like I said, since the end of the 2019 NFL Draft, he has all the makings of a, of a big-time quarterback for the next level. I don't think the change in coaching is going to be really that big a deal for him because if the new coaches are smart, they're going to tailor an offense around Jordan Love and around his strengths. I think this, the sky is the limit for this guy, and we can talk about the Tagliavoas and the Justin Herberts and the Fromms, understandably so, but Jordan Love is one of those guys that I think, again, I had him graded, I had him in my, my first-round draft the first week of May as a, mid, as a mid-first-round pick, and I see, if he has the season that I expect, I see him going nowhere but north from there. Yeah, a very, very intriguing player, to say the least. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball now. Let's go to defense. Top defensive senior. So, guys, we're going to be talking about for the senior bowl. Who's the top defensive senior outside the Power Five in your eyes? Well, i got to stay with Troy Pride. I okay. mean, because he, he's the uh, – I think he's, he's right there with Julian Aquara. I, I, I think he's more uh, – NFL ready than Aquara. Yeah, I like Aquara's game. The question is, is he a defensive end? Is he an outside linebacker? If you're going to stand him out at outside linebacker, how is he going to do? You mentioned, you know, uh, his ability against the run. That's because he's sort of a thin guy. I think Troy Pride is a plug and play type of guy. He can start in the flanks. You can put him over the slot receiver. You can put him as a start. He can develop into a starting cornerback. He can play nickel early on. Uh, so the, the spread between those two are are not that great on my board. I, I think it's going to be pride because, as I said, you know, you look at Notre Dame, you're looking at anywhere from three to as many as five top 90 picks, depending on what happens next year, and he, he's one of the best. Yeah, I'll just go on. I'll mention one of their teammates. We talked about Aquara. We talked about Pride. I mentioned Khalid Kareem a little bit earlier, and he's another senior defensive end, plays opposite Aquara. Uh, this guy is a little bit different from his skill set from Aquara. I think you're looking at a guy that's got more ability to play against the run. He's strong. He's long. He's got the ability to hold the point very well. Just needs to improve as a pass rusher, show a little bit more in terms of his, developing his toolbox, attacking offensive linemen, being able to turn the corner. That's going to be a question, but uh, Khalid Kareem, if you're looking for a nice run-stopping, defensive end. I think uh, you've got that with the big guy uh, from Notre Dame. All right, next question now. Most intriguing defensive underclassman. Uh, again, we're not saying this guy should declare for the draft or anything, but a guy to keep on an eye on for the future. Tony, who, who's a name uh, that really kind of piques your interest? I'm going to go back to Central Florida. Okay. On the other side of the ball, you say defensive, and I'm going to go with their cornerback, Brandon Moore, the underclassman. Reminds me a lot of former uh, Central Florida cornerback Mike Hughes. Same sort of body type, 5'11", 185, 180 pounds, runs in the 4'5", plays the same type of physical football, very good facing the action, shows ability and man coverage to get his head back around and uh, track the pass in the air, uh, beats, uh, defeats opponents either physically or with just terrific ball skills. 
showed flashes last year, got better as the season progressed. Moore is somebody that I am really excited about seeing. Right now I have him graded as a third-round choice, but if he plays as I expect him to play and he progresses as I hope he progresses on the field, I think that Moore can move into the top 45 selections of the 2020 draft if he decides to enter. Yeah, and I'm going to go with a guy that has been first-team All-Mountain West Conference each of the last two years, and that's Boise State defensive end Curtis Weaver. Burst onto the scene as a redshirt freshman a couple years ago, 11 sacks. I know you remember that, Tony, playing alongside uh, the uh, the linebacker the Dallas Cowboys took uh, in the first round. Yeah, late, late in Vanderesh. So uh, Curtis Weaver really burst onto the scene a couple of years ago, over 6'3", over 260 pounds. He's got tools, man. I mean, he's got things that you can really work with. I'd like to see him get a little bit better in the nuances of being a pass rusher, right? So a little bit better with his feet, a little bit better with his hands, uh, just better with the mental approach overall in terms of attacking offensive linemen. But he's gotten a lot, a lot of production despite that because of his physical tools. He's naturally athletic. He's very fluid and smooth, really good body control. But uh, just needs to get a little bit better at the small things in his game. All right, uh, let's get to another player now. Biggest sleeper. So a guy that really is under the radar right now. Not a lot of people are talking about as we enter the 2019 season. Who outside of the Power Five do you feel fits that category, Tone? I'm going to give you a twofer on this one. First, I'm going to go small school. Kyle Duger, a safety from Lenore Rhyme. Uh, six foot tall, 215 pounds, runs a verified in the low 4-4s. A big-time hitter who can also cover just an explosive safety. If he plays well, he's going to move into the middle rounds of the draft. If he doesn't play well, he's going to end up like Chris Johnson of Northern Alabama, who we saw last year at the Shrine Game, who, like uh, Duger, entered the season as a, as a projected mid-round prospect, didn't have a good year, fell out of the draft. Duger's got all the big-time physical skills to play at the next level. He's got all the skills to make an impact in the draft. It's just a matter of him progressing on the field. The other guy who I really like, who a lot of scouts have just dismissed and ignored, is actually South Florida quarterback Blake Barnett. 6'4", 214 pounds. Scouts have, a lot of scouts have graded him as a street-free agent. I have him as a seventh-round pick. More of your traditional pocket passer game manager, but he's got a big-time arm. He's got a great head on his shoulders. And I think he has a lot to prove in the sense that scouts are ignoring him and dismissing him. But when I watch him play and when I watch him on film, I think he has next-level talent. And coming from South Florida, we know that this is a guy, if we don't see him in the Senior Bowl, he'll absolutely be at the Shrine game. Yeah, and he's an Alabama transfer, if, uh, if I remember correctly, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a guy certainly uh, to keep an eye on, and I, I'm going to give you a two for as well. One guy uh, you talked about already, and that's Kyle Duger. Um, Tony, I watched him this morning. He's really, really impressive, and the reason why I watched him, I'm like, all right, look, I've never watched tape of Lenore Ryan. Right, they're in uh, they're in North Carolina. They're like just northwest of Charlotte. I've never heard of him. It's a D two school. So I put I put in three games and I and I watch him. This kid's long. He's explosive. He can hit. He can come down and play the run. He has a really good feel for navigating in traffic. And the reason why I watched him was you know you hear a little bit of buzz about him. You know uh, uh, Jim Nagy had kind of spotlighted him as a small school player that the Senior Bowl really had their eyes on entering this year. Then he was on Bruce Feldman from the Athletic on his freak list as one of the top fifty freakiest athletes in all of college football. So that kind of put me on notice. Like all right, he's getting some buzz in scouting circles. So he's got that check that box and he's a freaky athlete scouts are talking about him let's really see what this kid's got before we do this podcast and i, I was impressed uh, i think he's got starting ability 
without knowing anything about him from a mental makeup side, from a character standpoint, what is he like uh, in terms of his routine and, and what he can do from a football character standpoint, physically, this kid's got tools to, to play in the league as a starting safety. So uh, excited to learn more about him uh, and really want to see how he does as a senior. But really, a uh, really high ceiling there uh, for this kid. Another small school player, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Dayton tight end Adam Troutman. Uh, I know a favorite of our buddy Ben Fennell. I was talking to him about him yesterday. He's watched him. I haven't. Uh, but he compared him to a little bit of a Hunter Henry style. Uh, a big kid. He's pretty fluid who can run around a little bit. Uh, Adam Troutman from Dayton, Dayton, an interesting player here. Uh, to keep an eye on. So there we go for uh, some small school players uh, for you guys going in to the 2019 season. Let's go. Uh, to- let, me, let me just say. Let me just say this: the Dayton kid, the Dayton tight end, is getting a lot of conversation hmm. in scouting circles. A lot of people like him, and you know, we've had you've had a couple of guys come out of Lenore Rhymes uh, as free agents. I can't remember the last time anyone ever came out of Dayton, but uh, there's going to be a lot of scouts passing through there this season. All right, well, let's go to the uh, the next category, Tony. The most to prove. So this one might be, maybe it's a player that uh, didn't have a great 2018 season. Maybe it's a guy coming off injury. Could be a small school player as well. I think you kind of fit the uh, you know fit that bill in there as well. But who's a player that you feel has the most to prove here uh, in 2019? Well, it doesn't fit any of the above-named categories. But my most to prove is Mitchell Wilcox, the tight end from okay. South Florida, who on the outside, he is absolutely loved. Uh, when you talk to people, you know, on social media or people who, who uh, you know, rate the draft on the outside. But when I watch him on film, he reminds me a lot of Caden Smith of Stanford, mm. a guy who's a very good football player, but not a real great athlete. I mean, he's not overly quick or explosive, catches the ball very well, but he kind of labors trying to get downfield. I, I think Wilcox is a good football player. I think he's a late-round pick. When I say he's got a lot to prove is, you know, people right now are talking about him as a potential second-day pick. Uh, I see him right now as a six-rounder. The difference between him being a second-day pick and a six-rounder is going to be what the difference was for Caden Smith, his 40 time. And when I watch Mitchell Wilcox play, although I enjoy watching him play, and I think he's a good tight end, I think he's a 4'8", 4'8", 5'5", athlete, which is going to push him into the later rounds of the draft. So uh, most approved with Mitchell Wilcox, we're not going to find that out until next uh, late late February of next year, early March, when he runs uh, his 40th uh, during combine workouts. If he runs or you know doesn't choose to go pro day, but he's going to have a lot to prove with his testing workouts uh, for scouts to prove that he's worth a top 100 pick, which a lot of people are predicting him to be at this point in time. All right, and then the, the final question, Tony, the, the newcomer on the scene. Who, who is the guy that uh, really we aren't talking about now, but we will be in the next few months? And really the, the kind of players that I'm looking for here in this category, it could be a transfer from another school. It could be a player who's stepping in for uh, a recently drafted player. So I think back to Miles Sanders last year stepping in for Saquon Barkley. Uh, it could be a JUCO transfer stepping in. Uh, you know, I know that uh, the, the running back that the Kansas City Chiefs took out of Utah State this year, a one-year guy out of JUCO. Who are some players, uh, or who is one player, I should say, that kind of fits that bill, who'd be the newcomer of the year for you outside the Power Five? Well, a newcomer, a newcomer in the sense that my newcomer is in the sense that no one is talking about him at all, and that is uh, UMass offensive lineman Ray Thomas Ishman, who's graded as a priority free agent by scouts. I also have him graded as a priority free agent. He's an offensive tackle who's likely to move into guard, six foot four, three hundred pounds, fundamentally sound, makes great use of angles and body positioning. 
you know, really, you, you watch, uh, you know, we all you watched uh, UMass last year a lot because of the uh, because of the receiver. Watch their left tackle if you if you go back and watch the film, who did a terrific job keeping the quarterback upright so he can deliver those passes. Ishman is the guy who Thomas Ishman is the guy who I could see him getting a Shrine Bowl invite, maybe at the very least an NFLPA game. Could slide into the late round. Has an NFL body. Has plays with NFL fundamentals. Has got it uh, a lot of skill. But coming from UMass, a team that really is on an aisle. They're, they're an independent. No one ever gets to see him play except if you have to go out and watch them play, as we did last year uh, with Danny Isabella, who we first mentioned on this uh, podcast. I think before anybody else was talking about him. You know, watch watch their left tackle because he's another guy who he's not going to have the impact of Danny Isabella in the draft, but he's someone who I think people will be talking about as we get closer to the 2020 uh, event. Yeah, one of my favorite things, when we go to the Combine every year, you talk about the Combine, um, you know, one of my favorite things is to ask these players, hey, who, who's next? Who's coming down the pipe at your school? Not enough people are talking about it. I remember talking with both Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard, the two running backs from Memphis, and asked them, you know, who's next? And they both said, keep an eye on the senior running back, Patrick Taylor, big kid. I haven't studied him yet, um, but both guys like really quickly said, yeah, Patrick Taylor's a guy. I know he was part of the rotation last year because uh, they moved both Henderson and Pollard around. Uh, so Taylor was able to get some reps. So he'd be a player that I would keep an eye on here for the Tigers this fall. Tony, uh, that'll do it, man. I really, really appreciate the time here once again. Welcome back to the show. Uh, excited for the next few weeks here as we continue previewing conference by conference the top players you need to watch for 2019. Thanks, Rand. Look forward to uh, another, what is it, six months, eight months of, uh, of draft talk on the podcast. Just a great start to things there with Tony Pauline talking about all the top players outside the Power Five. Now let's transition to the second half of this week's podcast. That's with our second Tony. That's Tony Rassiopi, a renowned quarterback tutor, quarterback coach. He's local here to the Philadelphia area over in South Jersey. We're going to talk with Tony about the top players down at the Manning Passing Academy. Let's get to Tony Rassiopi now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, well, let's welcome in for the very first time here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Now, if you listen to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, you heard an interview I did uh, with our guest, Tony Rassiopi, on that show. This was a few weeks back now. Uh, Tony is a, a quarterback tutor, a quarterback coach here in the area, works with guys at every level of the game. Uh, and Tony, you are a honored guest down at the uh, the Manning Passing Academy every year. We talked about it a little bit on that show, but for those that didn't catch that, real quickly, just take us through the the atmosphere. What's it like down there? Uh, I know that the, the Mannings are gracious hosts for everybody, but uh, give us a look inside, behind the curtain, what it's like down there uh, for at the Manning Academy. Sure. Well, thanks for having me back on, Fran. I, I you know, had a blast. Obviously, being on the show last time. So, um, but yeah, the Manning Camp's a great time. It's a um, it's a time where you can really, like, you know, nowadays, you know, being a um, being a coach, you know, a lot of the time these kids, uh, especially high school kids, are just you know, it's all about going to showcase camps or college camps and trying to chase scholarships. Where um, you know, the Manning Camp really is just a old school skills and drills, you know, kind of camp for like eighth graders to um, seniors in high school. So. You know, you're, you're, you're being taught. No one gets ranked. They don't care about, you know, like um, five-star and four-star kids and really pumping up the better kids. Everybody gets coached. doesn't matter your, your skill set, your level. So from that standpoint, it's awesome, uh, number one. Number two, obviously, you know, you get to see the top 35, the 45 college kids in the country get invited usually every single year. Um, 
you know, so those guys will come in. They're actually uh, they're actually counselors first. So what they'll do is they'll they'll have you know they'll have they'll have a field they'll be on. They got to teach skills. Um, they got to teach drills um, as as well as they'll have you know they're in charge of twelve to fourteen kids in their group. Um, so they're teaching those guys obviously about the position. Um, and then in between those sessions, uh, we'll have sessions with those guys. So uh, what they'll do is they'll. They'll break in either two or four groups, depending on on the day, and then uh, we'll put those guys through. You know, pretty much you get anything you could do from a quarterback standpoint. So, you know, uh, you know, deep pocket passes, you know, comebacks and digs, the post, to some pocket movement stuff, to some off platform, off balance stuff, to uh, some scramble stuff, to you know, you name it. So, um, it's it's kind of a great environment because you get to see those guys for four days. I'm talking about the college kids. Um, you get to see them for who they are, you know, so you're around them all day long, you know, so, you know, like on your field, you have usually four of them. So usually it's, uh, it's eight coaches a field. So it's usually four, four college guys and then four guys like me, you know, or, or high school, college or, or pro quarterback coaches. Um, and then the kids kind of rotate within your field. So you're, you know, you're around those four college guys all day long. Then obviously, you know, like I get to coach them obviously with a couple other guys. I'm lucky enough to do that in those intermediate sessions, and then you're around them, you know, for downtime, you're around them for, for breakfast, for lunch, and then at, at night we uh, usually go, you know, to a really nice dinner. Everybody goes back and showers up and, you know, throws a nice outfit on, and then, uh, you know, we'll go out and sit around and kind of just, you know, eat some really good Cajun food and, and just talk, you know, so you get to see uh, them for who they are as people and how they interact with each other. So it's, it's, a, it's a great environment for four days, and there's no class or family than uh, the Mannings. All right, well, let's, let's focus in on these college kids. And I, I'm going to ask you a few questions, then we'll hit on some names uh, on the back end. My first question is this. Of all the college kids that you saw up close, and obviously a lot of these guys are very, very talented, a lot of the, the, basically the top passers in the entire country all attend this camp. I know the one name that was not in attendance was uh, Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, the Heisman finalist, right. Maxwell Award winner, uh, pulled out late with an injury. But uh, everybody else was in attendance. So all, all the guys that you saw up close – who was the most impressive in terms of pure arm talent, in terms of throwing the football? Who really caught your eye most in that area? Um, you know, it's it's funny because, um, you know, like every year I say this to myself, like there's always a kid you fall in love with there, one, and there's always the kid that you're like, oh, man, I can't believe he's a Division one quarterback, you know, just, just based off of skills and drills, you know. So I try to temper my, um, you know, like, my emotions for both kind of guys, you know. So, um, you know, like I've walked out of that camp, uh, you know, last couple of years, like absolutely falling in love with one guy and absolutely like thinking this kid should not be a division quarterback. And sometimes that guy ends up having a great year for his team. So, you know, the, the funny thing about what we still do is, um, you know, we still do all the pro style stuff. So some of these kids, you know, some of these college kids have never taken a snap on our center, right? So they've been like a spread spread RPO guy in high school. And now they're at a program in college where they're doing the same thing. So they look at you funny when you're like, okay, uh, here's the drill. Seven-step drop, or, you know, you're going to fake an ISO out of the eye here, and you're going to get nine yards deep in the pocket. You're going to climb up, and we're going to work this, this. And they're looking at you like, what? You know, because they haven't done it a day in their life. So um, so I try, to, I try to preface that by saying that, and, and I think that um, there are a couple guys, obviously. You know, like you know, Justin Herbert from Oregon, obviously, is, you know, 6'6", six, six, you know, uh, good athlete, strong arm. I mean, can make every throw. Um, you can definitely see why he came back to school. He's definitely, like, not as polished as he, as he can be, you know. So I think he made the right decision as far as that. You know, but you see the you see the arm talent. You see all the talent um, within his game. You know, like, he, he threw the second, third-level stuff effortlessly. Um, 
you know, and again, that's you know, he has some things he can really fix from a fundamental standpoint. When he does that, that's when it's going to be amazing to watch. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence was was uh, very impressive. I mean, you look at him and he's what nineteen years old. You know, um, he's unbelievably polished as a kid. You know, I felt like almost like you know, again, I'm forty. I felt like I was talking to somebody my age. You know, like that's how polished he was as a kid. He's a, he's very religious, uh, very confident in himself, but very humble. Um, made every throw, plays with a great base, has a nice tight circle release. You know, um, you know, again, like he's a kid. Like we went to the airport at the end, kind of together. All there was probably about eight of us that you know drove back to the airport together and dropped our cars off and. Uh, walking through the New Orleans airport with him was like, you know, walking through with Elvis. You know, like every five feet, you had to stop and, and take a picture. <laughs> so, but, you know, again, he's like, you know, with a smile, sure, sure, sure. Like, you know, never once was he like, oh, I got to do this, you know. So um, he's the perfect kind of kid for the spotlight that he's in right now. So, um, you know, again, you know, a lot of kids, the, the neat thing about this year is, and, and I've said this to a couple people now, is that like, you know, five or six years ago when I went there, Almost every kid was like between six four and six six, two twenty to two thirty five. You know, it was a cookie cutter, big drop back kids, sure. kind of statues in the pocket. Whereas honestly, this year, man, everybody was kind of like different heights, different sizes, hmm. different abilities. It was kind of neat to watch. You know, like um, I mean, Ian Book was was really smooth, very accurate with the ball. And again, he's six six foot, six one. You know, Notre Dame starting quarterback. Um, you know, Adrian Martinez, you know, again, you know, young kid, true freshman from uh, Nebraska, Nebraska yeah. you know, six foot, six one, big lower half. You can tell he's definitely a dual threat kid. Um, but like those kind of kids, you know, they wouldn't have been there five, six years ago. You know, so that was kind of yeah. the neat thing to see was that there wasn't that many bigger kind of kids. I mean, there was, but you know, it wasn't like it was where like there were 35 of them five years ago, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of a neat thing to see. And, and obviously, you know, because of the way the games kind of changed, um, you kind of saw who was, comfortable taking a deep drop and who could do all the different things. Um, Jared Carantano from Tennessee, who's a kid I train, um, looks fantastic. You know, he's going into his, his junior year at Tennessee and, uh, you know, looks, looks good. He's 6'4", 220 now. He's really filled out upper body-wise. He he's a Jersey kid. Um, through the ball effort, we'll see. And, again, he's, you know, he's got a top-ten arm in the country. So, hopefully Tennessee um, you know, has a great year for him. Uh, Kenny Pickett, who's a kid I trained, who's from Pitt, um, had, had a, actually a great camp. You know, and I'm not surprised by that. But um, it was it was funny. The first night we go to a function, and uh, Peyton actually came up to me and he goes, uh, he goes, Tony, uh, he goes, the the Pitt kid, Pickett. I'm like, yeah. He goes, he's really good. He can he can make all the throws. He goes, he just he just has that it. He's a, he's a quarterback. He goes, he just I, I love the way he carries himself. So mm-hmm. it was neat to see because when you go, when you do these things. It's easy to fall in love with kids from USC and, and uh, you know Clemson and, and Alabama, but a lot of times you get a kid from Pitt or you get a kid from you know a smaller Division One school or like an FCS school that really catches your eye, and uh, you know you see a lot of these guys go throw for throw, you know. So it's, it's kind of neat to stand back and kind of watch and see who can make all the difference. And we try to put them through every kind of scenario that you do as a quarterback to kind of just see skill sets. Well, and you mentioned, you know, just trying to get to know these guys as care, not to get to know them, but being around them, and you really get a sense of who they are as people. You talk with them at night, you see them all interact, and how, you know, kind of how they uh, go about it, their, their business on the field and away from the field. So, I love the anecdote about uh, Trevor Lawrence at the airport. It was great stuff. Let me ask you this question: You know, we hear this at the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game when it comes to the quarterback position, especially. 
you know, those guys all get in, into a group and you get a sense of, all right, who's who's kind of like the alpha dog? Who, who is the guy that really kind of sets himself apart in terms of his poise and his leadership and really his presence and guys kind of gravitate toward him? Was there a guy that really felt, you know, he was that guy when that when the whole group was together? I wouldn't say one stood out this year, and that and that's kind of a good thing because the reason I said that there was a lot of more that way. Mm. You know, um, this group was really good this year. There were you know some other some other years they were kind of like more, um, you know, they would throw, but they were more kind of just wanted to socialize and maybe have a good time. Or this group was very um, was very focused, was was very good with people. Uh, wasn't like a social media group. You know, they just kind of you know they just wanted to come and, and uh, you know coach kids and. Uh, and throw and impress people. So I wouldn't say that one guy this year was that guy. You know, like there were years in the past, like, you know, like, like Josh Allen's group, Josh Allen was like that alpha male. And not yeah. that, like, you know, Sam wasn't an impressive kid or, or a lot of guys in that draft class, but like when you got them all in a circle, Josh Allen was like the guy, you know, like from an alpha male standpoint. Whereas this year, you know, they're all, they're, I would say there were seven of those guys, you know, so they got along really well. It was a really good group of kids this year, you know, so. Uh, it was it was easy conversation. It was easy to interact, and um, you know the, nice, the the neat thing is that, and I say this all the time, like, and I tell these guys this, you know, all the guys I work with, it's it's like how many people are going through the same thing you're going through, right right now in your life, you know, whether it's you play for like this passionate fan base, and and uh, you know one week you're the king, and the next week they want you, you know, they want to bury you somewhere because right. <laughs> you threw two picks and you lost the game and you didn't play well and. Like how many people are going through that with you know like you are and, and I think that kind of bonds them right away and then um you know I think the neat thing for these guys is really get getting to be around Peyton and Eli you know and again like you know at the end of the day what, what always made Peyton Manning great was was his process and was his like sequence and was his routine I think nobody had a better routine that's ever played the game that's what made him great for so long you know so. Um, you know, and, and again, like he he kind of like fills them in on okay, this is my off season stuff. You know, like like when you go back and watch yourself from last year, you need to watch you know this, this, and this, and this is how I critique myself. And then the next phase is to watch this, 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 and critique yourself. And then at the end of the day, you know, you need to watch people. You know, you need to watch uh, Drew Brees. Like, what makes Drew Brees great? Watch a watch film for a week of Drew Brees. What does he do? What does he do really well? Maybe what's something you could do? Incorporate. You know, something maybe he does to the left, or maybe he does something with free safety with his eyes, or a shoulder pump. You know, when he's working teams, like what does he do to help himself? Um, and, and he's played so long, you know. And, and same thing, watch Tom for a week. You know, watch watch the best guys and kind of steal something and, and and work on that that week. You know, within your game. So, I think you know for them, it's 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 the ability to learn from those two guys about having a process and a routine. So let me ask this question: You 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 have you've seen a bunch of these guys, whether in person or on film uh, or just watching on Saturdays. So over the course of their careers, but was there a guy that really surprised you most? Maybe they yeah, maybe you didn't know much about him beforehand, or you did know a little bit, but he really kind of uh, surpassed your expectations going into the week. Um, I, you know, I would say two guys. One, I. I was impressed with Trevor just because I'd never been around him before. Yeah. You know, so obviously he had a great year last year for Clemson, but but being around and seeing the person he is and uh, like seeing his character and kind of seeing how he handles himself that that blew me away again for the age that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Colin Hill kid from Colorado State threw the ball really well, and he was kid didn't really he didn't really play last year for them. So he's six five, you know, uh, really spun it great, made every throw effortlessly, um, super kid. 
you know, in the first six five kid moves his feet really well. Um, he was a kid that definitely, like all of us, kind of like by the second day, we were like, who's this kid? You know, like he he was really impressive, and he was kind of a under the radar kind of guy, not a guy that again, you know, didn't play last year. You know, you didn't really know about. Um, and Jared Doji, who uh, who was at Bowling Green last year and is going to be at West Virginia this year, is a Lubbock, Texas kid. Um, his brother played quarterback. His brother's quarterback coach at I think USC or UCLA, one of those two. Um, he, he threw the ball really well. And, again, I don't know if he's going to start this year with their situation, but he was impressive. So um, I, I would say I would say those guys were kind of the guys that kind of jumped out at you of the guys that I didn't know about. And, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of these guys hadn't really done any of the drills that, uh, you know, that, that you guys put them through uh, just because of the systems they come out of, the, the programs that they've played in both in high school and in college. So let me ask you this question now. A guy, who's a guy or two or three that – really kind of improved as the week go on. Maybe they were swimming a little bit early, but the more they went through those drills, you kind of thought, all right, this guy picked it up really quickly and really got better as the week went on. Um, you know, I would say like a kid like Adrian Martinez, who, okay. you know, Nebraska. Um, and it's kind like, he, he was like one of the first ones, like the first day, it's, again, like seven step drop, play action, you know, 18 yard comeback. I mean, and it's funny, like super kid. I got to really know him really well over, over the uh, four days because sometimes where we are in the field, like you take role in the same spot every day on the turf, and there's 1,300 kids on this turf. So it's it's so well organized by Buddy Tevens, who's head coach at Durham. It's, it's amazing to watch. Like I've worked camps with 70 kids that weren't this well run, you know. So um, Adrian was actually like next to me, so I got to really talk to him and get to you know talk systems and. And everybody's always trying to learn like the RPO stuff, right? So I'm always I was trying to pick his brain about what what you know like Coach Frost runs and what he likes and what's his favorite five concepts that they're doing. So we started we talked a lot of ball, but he was a kid like you know the first day. I mean I, I don't think he's ever taken a snap under center. Maybe besides maybe a couple you know college camps maybe he went to when he was in high school. But you know by the end he looked a lot more comfortable taking a drop under center, getting set, throwing a curl, throwing like those kind of throws. Which you know again like he's all you know shotgun quick ride that inside zone, get your speed set and rip it, you know, and, and um, you see his skill set. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's got a big lower half and he's got a really strong arm, mm-hmm. but you know, like the first day to the fourth day made, made huge jumps. All right. So I'm going to ask you about a few guys that we haven't really hit on yet. And some guys that uh, some are some big names that fans are going to know and some others that maybe they don't necessarily know. And I want to start with a guy, uh, you know, we've talked earlier in the show about the, the uh, outside players outside the power five and the one quarterback this year that's getting a lot of buzz outside the power five conferences is Jordan Love from Utah State. Yep. What were your uh, impressions of Jordan Love in person? Uh, very impressed. Uh, definitely one of the uh, one of the top guys there. Um, you know, big, strong kid. He can really spin it and drive the ball downfield. He's he's as advertised. He was very impressive to me. All right, now let's get into uh, Jake Fromm from Georgia, a player that uh, every college football fan is going to be aware of. Led Georgia to a national title run uh, in as a true freshman. Nearly took them back there last year. Went to the SEC title game. But uh, thoughts on Jake Fromm? Uh, very accurate with the football. Uh, very smooth. Um, you know, very twitching his drop. Again, he, he comes across as a kid that kind of like nothing bothers him, yeah. you know, which is which is pretty impressive. So, um, it, you know, it makes sense that he had success at an early age because he, he was able to handle it. So, you know, he's kind of like a country boy, you know, nothing really nothing really bothers him. He's, he's good with going fishing or hunting, and um, you know, again, he's he's very accurate with the ball. Um, you know, really those second, the first level, the second level throws doesn't really miss much. 
Yeah, and you mentioned just the, what he's like from a from a character standpoint. I mean, he goes there. Jacob Eason's kind of installed as a starter, was a young kid, five-star recruit. He, he overtakes that job, and then he has to fight off uh, Justin Fields last year and everything that was going on with that quarterback room a year ago yeah. uh, was still able to overcome that. So uh, certainly yeah, speaks. Uh, with his personality, it's easy to see why he was able to do that. I mean, just easy going, uh, just a nice kid, you know, just always positive, always upbeat, um, you know, you can see why his mentality let him be successful. All right, so uh, one quarterback of a pro-style system to another. I want to ask you about uh, Nate Stanley from uh, Iowa, another guy who's going into his third year as a starter, upcoming senior. Uh, I just had a chance to watch him for the first time earlier this week. What are your thoughts on Nate Stanley? Uh, really big kid. Yep. Um, really could drive the ball downfield. Again, he was one of those kids, like you are talking about, the drills we're doing, it was like easy for him because he's done it for so long. You know, So right. like he was able to take a seven-step drop slide in the pocket once and then throw the 18 yard comeback, you know, pretty effortlessly. So, um, no, he impressed me. He's, he's, he's kind of like the throwback kind of guy, you know, super kid, very well, very well spoken, very polished. You definitely tell he's a thinker. Um, you know, so again, he, he did a great job for four days. He was very impressive. And I would think you would say the same things in terms of uh, where he came, comes from, from a, a system standpoint, KJ Costello from Stanford, obviously another pro style system there. Uh, I mean, very similar to Nate. You know, again, big, strong kid, uh, great personality on him. You know, you can tell he's kind of has that infectious, like, uh, you know, if I'm on his team, I kind of gravitate to him. You know, threw the ball really well again for, for the most part, you know, during the uh, four days. Uh, and, again, um, you know, the drops that we did, the, the pro-style stuff, you know, like what Stanford does, it's perfect for what we were doing. All right, let me ask you about a couple guys that have gotten a little bit of buzz, I want to say, this offseason. We'll start with uh, Steven Montez, who um, really kind of started off really, really strong last year. Uh, you know, Colorado had the, had the strong start from an offensive standpoint uh, a year ago. Uh, tell, tell us what you saw from Steven Montez, another rising senior from the, the Pac-12. Yeah, Steven, uh, I got to know really well through the four days. We kind of grabbed dinner around the same time each night. So, um, you know, confident kid. Um, you know, his actually his receiver was there. Yeah. Oh, and, that's right. I did uh, see that. Yeah, who's unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's he's you know he's without that one of the top three receivers probably going into the draft. Um, you know, for the following year, he's I mean he's big, he's athletic, he's twitchy, great feet, great hips, great hands. Um, so I you know I could see those two kind of you know being a one-two punch. And again, they they were together the entire time, which tells me a lot too. So mm. you know. It wasn't like they got there and they kind of went their separate ways because they can't stand each other. They were attached to hips, which is a good thing to see. So, um, I mean, Steven's strong arm. You know, like, you know, second year for him, he was there the year before. You know, so I got to see him kind of – the neat thing is when, when you see guys come for two or three years, you see him progress, you know. So, you know, when I did see him progress the year before, not that he wasn't impressive the year before, but you definitely saw a more polished version of himself this year. You know, and again, he – really strong arm. He really drive the ball downfield. Yeah, and LaVisca Chanel, I haven't had a chance to study him yet, but uh, I've heard a lot of big things uh, about him yeah. and his talent, and you kind of hear that. Watching him. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's no, a dude. No question. All right, so let me ask you about this guy now, too, who's got a lot of buzz, especially coming out uh, of this event. I know Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, tweeted that he was really impressed with Tommy Stevens, Penn State transfer, now yeah. at Mississippi State, uh, rejoining with Joe, Joe Moorhead down there uh, in Starkville. What were your thoughts uh, seeing Tommy Stevens? Uh, I mean, you know, like the question you asked me earlier about who impressed me that was kind of on the radar, he, he could be a guy that I definitely could have listed in my top three or four. You know, like he, um, you, you don't realize how big he is. You know, he's every bit of like 6'5", you know, um, you know, really good feet. 
you know, again, sometimes, you know, you see Penn State play, right, and he's playing all those different positions, and he's kind of an athlete, and you just kind of think he's like a dual-threat guy and a shotgun guy. But he was, like, very polished fundamentally. You know, he was five-step, seven-step play action, um, you know, threw the ball downfield, like, effortlessly. I mean, threw, threw the ball really well. Um, you know, again, big, strong kid. I mean, he plays running back there. Over the last two years, you know, they threw the ball to him in the flat at times. Um, you know, ran him on wheel routes. So you see, you see the athleticism. But he's a, he's a big kid. And, uh, like, I'm excited to see what he does in Mississippi State. And again, he's running the system that he ran at Penn State. So, um, obviously, he knows it really well. So, he, he was impressive. He was definitely a kid. If you didn't know anybody's name and kind of just went up to a fence and watched guys throw a ball around, he'd be a guy that you would point to and be like, wow. Yeah, and Stevens, again, going into his first year as a starter there uh, with the Bulldogs. I want to round this out in the SEC with two guys that uh, are established in their programs. One, Joe Burrow from LSU, who stepped in last year uh, as a transfer from the Big Ten from Ohio State uh, and really kind of brought some stability to that position for LSU. And then also uh, Jake Bentley from uh, from South Carolina. I know he was a very well-respected guy uh, in that building. Any teammate that I've talked to of his just glows about Jake Bentley uh, as a person, as a leader in the face of that program. Uh, I want to say he's going into his fourth year as a starter. What were your thoughts on, on those two guys to round out the SEC? Uh, two great guys. So, so Joe, I got to know him really well. He actually was on my field, so okay. I spent a ton of time with him. You know, he's, he's a coach's kid. I got to meet his dad. I really spent a, time, a lot of time with his dad in between, like on breaks. Um, you know, his dad's a longtime college coach. You can tell he's a coach's kid by the way he acts. He's all about football, very smart. Um, plays with a great base. Threw the ball really well. Like, um, but throws the ball mechanically very sound, which you would expect from a, from a coach's kid. So, um, you know, he's definitely a kid that's, that's looking for a big year down at LSU, and, and obviously hopefully they spread the ball out a little bit more and throw a little bit more. But, um, you know, he, he's, a, uh, you know, he's a big kid. You know, and, and, again, like, you know, talking to him, he's had a lot of great coaches, you know, between Urban, between having Ryan Day, um, you know, the coaches that he's had at Ohio State, and then the coaches that he's had at LSU. So he's had two great experiences. So it was kind of me talking to him about, each one of those guys kind of taught him from either a quarterback standpoint or from a leadership standpoint. So uh, I, I enjoyed my conversation a ton with him, and, and he's going to have a great year. And then uh, and Jake, um, I was very impressed with this year. Now, I'll be honest with you, he was here the year before, and I was not very impressed with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought he pushed the ball at times. You know, he didn't really snap it. Um, you know, it wasn't like a tight ball come out of his hand last year. Where this year, he definitely, um, I could tell he's improved tremendously. He was to me, he's improved the most of all the guys that I saw for over the two years. Interesting. Yeah, he threw the ball really well this year. He, he spun it. He threw the ball. Um, you know, he threw the deep ball really well. He really drove the intermediate balls in those windows really well. Um, where last year was kind of like, eh, it was okay. You know, like so to me, like you know, walking away from that camp, I went, this kid puts work in because he he really spun it well. All right, so let me round this out with you. And the last guy I want to ask you about is a guy that I haven't studied yet. But every once in a while, you're watching film of a guy, and you know someone else in the in the peripheral kind of catches your eye. And I, I don't remember right now who I was watching. I want to say it was someone on defense, but okay. Louisiana Tech quarterback Jamar Smith uh, stood oh, yeah. out to me just the way with the kind of the way he kind of snapped the ball off. And so I wrote his name down, and I saw, hey, he's going to be at the at the Manning camp. All right, I, I want to make sure yeah. I asked Tony about him. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on Jamar Smith? He, uh, you got a, you got an eye for this because um, he was the one kid. And again, you know, like yeah, you feel like you say that a lot about these guys, but like he's the one guy where like you're standing there in a drum. This year, I was lucky enough to go with Peyton, so I was with Peyton for 
for all four days. It was just me and Peyton doing our, our in our drill sequence. So, like standing next to him and talking to him, and uh, you know, as we you know we set the drill, we kind of stand back, let the kids run the drill, and throw a little coaching cues in there when they're done after a rep. But like he was the one kid where you're standing there, and he was spinning it, man. Like he was. He was, I would say, one of the top five guys from an arm strength standpoint, from a drop and rip it. Um, I mean, he could spin the ball. So um, I was glad you brought him up because, again, he was probably top three guys that I walked away like impressed with from an arm strength standpoint, from the ability just to spin the ball, throw a tight spiral, and uh, and, and just you know tattoo guys <laughs> in the second and third levels. <laughs> you know, like he threw you know, curls and digs and comebacks and, uh, you know, out routes, uh, just, I mean, effortlessly. I mean, that's how strong his arm is. So very impressed with him. He was, he was, again, he was like, he was a kid after the second game. You're going like, this kid's unbelievable throwing the ball. A fitting way to, to wrap up the conversation, an episode where we're focusing on players outside the Power Five. Jamar Smith, uh, another name to keep an eye on. Well, Tony, uh, appreciate the time here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, hope to talk to you again soon in the coming day or the coming weeks. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Fran. Appreciate it. Great as always. Well, just a wealth of information there from Tony Rassiope, and I'm jotting notes down on all these guys as he's talking. Hopefully I'll be going back and listening to this podcast just so I can get a better idea of some of these guys before I go and watch more of some of the top passers in the country. Obviously, Tony giving us a little bit of a bird's-eye view on some of those guys. You can follow Tony on Twitter just like I do, at TonyRaz03, and Tony does great stuff with quarterback coaching all year round. Now, If you're more interested, if you're a young Eagles fan or if you know a young football fan in general who wants to learn more about the game and just be in tune with the Philadelphia Eagles, I would urge you, go check out the Eagles Kids Club. You know, Share the tradition of Eagles football with a young fan in your life with an Eagles Kids Club membership. For just $20, members receive an amazing welcome kit. You get invites to special events like the annual Halloween party. There's opportunities to win Eagles prizes with monthly contests and so much more. Visit PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash kids club to sign up today and really when I think back to that interview now uh, with Tony as we were just uh, you know thinking about it now you know he talked a little bit about Peyton Manning's routine and what he did pregame and now that was something that kind of set himself apart and that's really kind of how quarterbacks are creatures of habit I got me to thinking about a trip that I took last week down to Frisco, Texas for the O-Line Masterminds Academy. To me and we've talked about this in the show before we talked about it last week here on the episode with Scott McLuhan you need to have that that urgency, right? That that drive to be perfect, that drive to be great. To me, those guys that are so detailed, so nuanced with their craft and the, the want to be great, the need to be great, I really think that the more and more I'm around this, the more I think that edge, that side of football character is so pivotal for players to find success in the NFL. If you don't have it, it's a, it's really an uphill climb to find that success, at least on a consistent basis. You can be, be a flash player. You, know, you can be up and down and have your moments, but to have sustained, continued success, I think you need a certain amount of that edge, a certain amount of that character. I certainly learned that uh, down at the O-Line Masterminds Academy. Again, run by Duke Mannyweather. He was on... The this week's Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So if you want to learn more about that, go check out this week's Eagle Eye in the Sky. I'm going to chat also with Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks on next week's show. We'll talk a little bit about that event as well as a preview for training camp. But uh, go check that out over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. All right, let's wrap this show up. Our last segment, Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so one question this week for from Draft Mailbag, and we go to our Apple Podcast page. Again, the number one way to support the show, 
Go on any of those platforms, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. And I wanted to go to Eagles0727, left a comment and a rating saying, with Scott McLuhan, loved his honesty and his openness with your questions. Really like these types of shows where you speak with executives in scouting or football ops. So thank you very much for that comment and for the five-star rating. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that series, like I said earlier, over the last handful of weeks. And the best part about those is that they're evergreen. You can go back and listen to those later on in the season. You can go back and listen to them next year at this time. Then next year, I'm going to have the same kind of interviews, the same type of things in the summer. Different people, mind you, but just going and getting a sense of what do you look for? What is important to you during the evaluation process? And uh, Scott was one of the best that we had on the show over the last couple of months. Really urge you, if you haven't listened to that one, go back, check out that interview with a two-time NFL general manager. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. Really, really fun episode. We covered a lot of ground and really just because the the tip of the scale here as we start to get into the 29 college football season. Next week, we'll be back. We'll be previewing one of the Power Five conferences with Tony Pauline and Ben Fennell back in the house next week. He's out uh, He's out in Ireland somewhere uh, do, covering the, the British Open. So uh, lucky Ben. We'll talk to him about that trip when he gets back. But uh, a lot to come here on the Journey to the Draft podcast.